0: Welcome listeners to sleep, eat, perform and repeat. This is a podcast on high performance It will be presented by myself, David Clancy and my two co-hosts, Connor Gavin and Kieran Dunn. What we're striving to achieve here is figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do and why are they successful? Rate and review, share with your friends, but most importantly, enjoy. Welcome, listeners, to Sleepy Perform Repeat, episode number 55. Today, we spoke to Michael Caulfield, sports psychology consultant at Just Caulfield. In light of this time during the coronavirus pandemic, we took time to talk global timeout with Michael today. We discussed the challenges we're all facing now and how to approach them together. Michael shares his stories and insights from his diverse background. Be yourself, he says, during this timeout. And
1: as Jimmy Greaves once said, it's a funny old game. Welcome to Sleepy Performer Pete. We're joined on the line by Michael Caulfield, and we'll pass you over to David, who will introduce you to Michael. We're really, really fortunate and grateful to have Michael on the line today. Um, I
0: came across him at a Leaders Conference last year. Very, very esteemed, well-renowned sports psychologist. We want to hear what's going on in Michael's life today because there's a big crisis going on in the world, and we want Michael to... Talk us through all that and and educate our listeners a little bit. Michael, how's life? What's going on at your end? What's going on here is that I'm fit, I'm healthy, I'm optimistic, I'm okay, and I'm staring out the window looking at the half-decent sky with a few birds flying past. So I tell you what, it could be a lot worse. And geographically, Michael, where is this lovely picture you're painting for us? Well... If, if if there's people in Ireland listening to this, uh, they may have seen a wonderful racing festival
2: in, in England last week, the Cheltenham Festival. I live in a place just outside Lambourne, which is known as the Valley of the Racehorse. It's the Lambourne Downs. I came down here 40 odd years ago on leaving school to learn how to ride a racehorse badly. And I've been in and around the area ever since. So it's the downlands of England. There's plenty of fresh air. There's plenty of space. And I can assure
0: you I'm making the most of it every single day at the moment. Well, that's exactly a sort of message you want to be able to hear, isn't it? I mean. I was even yesterday walking on the Phoenix Park here in Dublin and everyone was, you know, abiding by the social distance that you're supposed to. Everyone was out with their dogs, running around with their kids. It was actually, it was a really lovely thing in a way to be able to see. Everyone was just enjoying nature as it was. Nobody was on their phones. Everybody was really, really kind of present and just enjoying it. And it was, it was really actually refreshing to see on St. Patrick's Day. I, I think if, I'm struggling even with the phrase good always
2: follows bad because there's there's probably not a lot of of good around at the moment but the one thing it will do eventually and we will get through this it'll force us to focus on the things that matter and the things that don't really matter Uh, and eventually I think we'll realize that the and I've always lived by the phrase simplicity is genius and in the end we'll just realize the, the the beauty of a human interaction a walk some fresh air, some countryside, seeing a dog chase after a ball or a young child learning to kick and run after a ball for the first time because we've got, we've got, I would say, pretty distracted, pretty greedy, pretty selfish. And this isn't some rant, I can assure you that. I've had a lot of time to think about this, David, before speaking to you. And we really will begin to appreciate the most beautiful, simple, natural things again. And that might just be the one thing we get out of this wretched,
0: this wretched situation at the moment. I really love that because myself and Kiran here have even been talking a lot about this for the last twenty four hours. About you know what's the thing we're getting up out of bed each and every day, and Kiran's got his girlfriend, his family. I've got my little man who's off crash at the moment, running around wrecking the place. Yeah. But but it's it's been amazing because what have I done with him? Been playing jigsaws, been uh, doing Jenga with him, running around with him. And it's, it's made me even more appreciative and grateful and how lucky I am to have that little bundle of lightning because you can get lost with every, all the noise um, when just normal life is going on and and forget about those really precious things you have close to heart that aren't materialistic. It, it it won't be when the little fella, it won't be about
2: has he got the latest, best gear to wear in the park or has he got the latest, best trainers to wear in the Phoenix park has he got the latest best bubble hat to wear in the Phoenix Park? It's just being in Phoenix Park. And I, I'm not a, I'm not a fluffy thing. I, I work a lot in sport and competition and work with some of the luckily some of the best people in the world of sport. You know, AP McCoy back in back in Ireland, you know, when he's a jockey here in the UK, an absolute warrior of a performer. But we're gonna get back just to not worry about stuff like that. Because it doesn't matter if your little lad's got the best bubble hat or the best pro trains. It's just being in Phoenix Park, running around after a ball and a dog. And if we get that out of it when we get through this, which we will get through this, uh, well, then it might just remind us and
0: take us back to somewhere better than where we were before. Now, Michael, you've kind of talked on something there that how important, because it is so important to be showing the young people of this world for sure the importance of strength, resilience, all those things. Because if they see their mom and dads and grandparents panicking, freaking out, acting differently, routine changing, well, that that's not going to reflect well on them is it going forward as as they're maturing what what's your kind of take on all of that I, i'm not going to cast aspersions on your brilliant parenting skills Dave, because i bet they're really good
2: thanks, but thanks. I, don't, I don't think we've been giving uh the next generation a, a good lead in recent in recent years because we've been spending if you like too much time staring at our screens too much time collecting material stuff and it's 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 not the way because they they copy us. Your, your your young fellow will copy you, and if he sees you walking across Phoenix Park, staring at your social media account, or staring at your bank account, or staring at the RTE feed for the latest news, he's going to think that's that's what you do for a living. And and we don't. We 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 shouldn't be doing that. And again, out of all of it, if, if, if we learn to live offline a wee bit more than we have been in the past, that 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 won't be a bad thing. It, it really won't. We've got to give them a better example because. Uh, even though we are using technology now, and I use it every day, it it it's human interactions and stories and those moments, those treasure moments with each other, which we cherish more than anything. And we might get back to that.
1: Michael, give us a bit of insight into how this pandemic has affected you. What would you normally be doing if things/events weren't going on as they are at the moment? Well, I had
2: uh, had having. I will. I won't use the past tense. Uh, one day a week, I'd be at a, at a good football club uh, here in London, West London, called Brentford. We were challenging for promotion to the Premier League. The dream was possibly on. Uh, I'd be a day a week at Northampton Saints Rugby. Uh, we were fourth in the Gallagher Premiership and challenging for those honours. And in the European Champions Cup final, I'd be there for a day a week. Uh, I just started the new cricket season. Uh, not the most popular sport yet in Ireland, but it's popular over here across the world in the UK. And I also had... Twenty days lined up touring with the Irish cricket team, and we had some tours lined up, which hopefully will take place, culminating in the World T Twenty in Australia in October. So hopefully we can get back to planning and supporting the staff for that. So three or four main sports teams, leaders in performance summit. I had a, a good fortune to host their summit in November, and I was going to travel with them this year. Hopefully we still will to Las Vegas in July of this year. Uh, and I work in a sports directorship course as a lead presenter at uh, VSI, Salford University. So. Those are my That was my core work, and they've all gone for the time being. So I've got to be creative. Uh, I've got to be patient. But above all else, do you know what, David? I've got to be supportive. And if I've got to sit here in this little tiny backdrop of the UK and offer a bit of support and a listening ear to people, be it online, because we can't really do that, that much meeting up at the moment, if I have to do that for three months, maybe that's what I'm meant to do for three months. And if I can get through till the end of the summer without going under, as it were, um, well then that's maybe a maybe that's the right thing to do for the time being but normally in high performance sport and being competitive but above all else I, I'll nick a line from Stuart Warden the Brit school here which is I always say start with kindness and then encourage adventure
1: and if I can do that in the next few months I think I'll be doing my my small bit that's excellent tell us a bit about the mood currently in high performance sports it's obviously a time of unknown for everybody what's it like in high performance sports mom? I've had a lot of contact with
2: players, coaches, administrators, sporting directors in the last week because I haven't seen them because they said training grounds are now closed down as good as. Incredible amounts of anxiety, uncertainty. And the brutal truth is because the leading sports clubs and associations, they're, they're businesses. And every business in the, in the world virtually has been has been affected and will be affected. So it's simply trying to stay alive until we get through this. And there's a lot of nervousness as to how how we can do that. And we're talking big institutions here, good clubs, big institutions. So the worry and anxiety is there. And that's why I'm really wary of the language I use when I speak to people, because there's a lot of fear
0: out there at the minute. And fear can be as deadly as the virus itself, in my opinion. So what would be your advice for people like my wife, Ciarán's girlfriend, our parents that are listening to this to help with the manage and cope with the fear that this virus is causing shockwaves throughout how what kind of advice from your background would you give i'd be very you- i'd be quite serious here um we've all got addictive
2: tendencies most of us it could be anything from chocolate to a soap opera to anything and i think it's almost becoming impossible to switch the news off because you want to listen or say what's happening so we're we're watching i think we're watching and listening to the news too much so i would say to anyone Limit yourself to when you get up because you want to know what's changed overnight and then wait for the evening press news conference from, in your case, Leo Varadkar last night or from our prime minister over here. Don't go watching the news and listening to the news all day because it, it, it will fill you full of fear because all you hear is words like isolation, death, virus, lockdown, pandemic. And that really gets through to your this extraordinary organ called the brain, which hasn't really evolved that much, I don't think, and we're still quite simple, fight or flight creatures. Now we're fighting for survival because you've only got to look at any, any supermarket across Europe, across the world. The I mean, minute we're fighting for a, a toilet roll or a bag of pasta, and we've gone back to being quite basic creatures because we haven't evolved that much. So limit yourself to the amount of time you listen to the news, but for every time you do watch it, then also search for the clip which shows someone recovering from the virus or coming through the virus. Or look at a film of Venice last night where Venice looks transformed. It's had a makeover because we've stopped messing it up. Look at, look, at, look at a clip from Singapore. Look at a clip from China where life is beginning to get going again because that's what we will look like, hopefully, in a few months' time. So <laughs> stay clear of the fearful language because it's, the fearful language is completely
0: addictive at the minute, and it's filtering through to our brain like a dripping tap. Unbelievable. What, what about giving people advice for the void? so, I know that's not a great word to use. We're talking here about language. You obviously aren't going to Northampton Saints. you're not going to the bees. go on the bees and um, we're we're not doing what we would normally be doing. We're trying to think laterally, be creative, be innovative so so what what kind of advice would you give for that? It's very easy for us to come across as preachy on that, but you're 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 a man of a lot of experience, a lot of different sectors, a lot of different sports, a lot of cognitive diversity there
2: right I've just written down as you speak to me David this is and we're, we're recording this beautifully unrehearsed because we live in an imperfect world and and also maybe that will teach us that we shouldn't even try and live in a perfect world post 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 this wretched situation here's a few things I've scribbled down a I think r- humans crave routine we if we're going to work we roughly get up at the same time we'll catch the same bus or drive at the same time we'll catch the the dart or a train whatever routines crucial so this is my personal view i am i'm still getting up bright and early because i think that's important lounging in bed listening to the news is not good for you i still have a timetable for the day you were going to email me at 10:45 today and you did we we logged on this punk podcast at 10:55 and we did and we started talking at 11 which we did so timetable your day rather than just amble and ramble through your day make sure you connect and not just text messages and not just social media Real life connection is talking and finding out how people are as much as you possibly can. The other thing I'll also say is if you're, if you're stuck in indoors, which most of us now are is a get clean shower and shave if necessary and wash. Uh, And as I speak to you now, I'm well-dressed. I'm not in tracksuit bottoms and slippers. I'm dressed as if I'm going to a meeting because I think that tells the brain, this is an important hour of of my, uh, of my day. So keep clean, keep dignified. And then at the end of it all, Uh, once you've maybe connected with the family, that will test you, is I think the the be all and end all in any walk of life, and this is pre and post coronavirus, is rest and sleep. And uh, I think before this pandemic, we were living through a sleep pandemic, which people don't get enough rest and sleep. And so go to bed at the same time, get up at the same time and try and get regular rest and recovery because the phrase being used is global pandemic. I'm saying this might be a global timeout and rest and sleep as you normally would. And if you do a bit more of it, that's okay, because the brain recovers with sleep. Without
0: it, we've got absolutely <laughs> zero chance of getting through this. My wife is going to love hearing that because, you know, she's 12 weeks pregnant with her second baby. Um, we're not telling a lot of people because we're waiting for a, a scan in the rotunda that mightn't go ahead next you've week. Got, that you I've just talked, by the way, you just have told the whole world, I hope, because I hope you've <laughs> <this> and, um, <laughs> and join in the conversation <laughs> yeah. and react differently. And, uh, and I can't attend it, but she's 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 resting, in fairness to her, trying to help out a little bit more than I normally would. And um, she's trying to abide by your advice. So, <laughs> Well, David, in, in in all walks of life, whether you're preparing
2: for the Olympic Games, uh, the All-Island Final, Cup Final, the biggest speech of your life, the biggest podcast of your life, I'm going to safely say something bold, and some scientists might come and challenge me, but everything begins and ends with a good night's sleep. And once you've had a good night's sleep and a good period of sleep, you feel you can conquer the world. But as you know, as a young father, when you have sleep deprivation, it's 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 a war zone. So I think that sleep is the most important thing in wellness and performance, and it's been hugely overlooked in the last 20 years as life got faster, busier, more connected,
0: and brighter and lighter, because we never turn the lights out anymore. Well, um, just, just FYI, listeners, Michael didn't get a wire of a grand to say that just because <laughs> this is called sleep, eat, perform, repeat. <laughs> so, he <yeah>. might <laughs> now. <laughs> he, he might now. He's plugged the importance of sleep. But I, I actually forgotten
2: you were called that. And I'd forgotten that this may have been the topic of the conversation when we first met back, back in November last year. But I don't care whatever it is you're preparing for or recovering from, you try doing it without sleep. And I wish you all the best.
1: Michael, let's shift the compass towards looking forward and let's, Have a thought, hypothetically speaking, that we've gotten through all of this. What's the one or two things you're most looking forward to getting back to that you haven't been able to do now? Human interaction. That's That's it. it. Human interaction.
2: To look at someone, to touch them. Uh, I don't know when handshakes are coming back, but I made a living at handshakes. So I hope they do come back or some form of connection comes back. That pure joy of being with fellow people in a room in a field somewhere in a comp, and all, all also the ones you don't always agree with or particularly look forward to seeing but that was part of life and, and and the jousting and the debate and the discussion um and that's that pure joy of being in if hearing human beings again talking and laughing and singing because i work in high performance sport and i can't wait to hear the roar of a crowd and a and a a bank of supporters break out into their club song from You'll Never Walk Alone or the, the various versions of Hey Jude or someone singing Neil Diamond's Sweet Caroline and belting it out at the top of their voice because we're social animals and we're designed to connect and we're designed to be together and we're designed to jump up and down and we're designed to do stuff and that's been taken away from us. Uh, it's literally been taken away from us
0: uh, and I can't wait to get back to doing that. That's the thing I miss most, most of all. And you're you're really hitting home with us there because we're we're actually revising our brand for a company called Hawara, our other company, and um, we're doing it with a company called Genesis, a big company here in, in Ireland. And uh, we have a follow up to a workshop to run in about a week's time. And we just rang rang the partner there about an hour ago, and we're trying to figure out what's the right way. How can we do this? You know, my sister can't come up from Nina. Uh, she's got to look after her young daughter um so she'll be coming in remotely the two guys will come in here but rather than us having in the small workshop where we did it last month we're going to be running running it out of an open forum so upstairs basically because no one's in this building anymore so um it's funny we're we're adapting you know adapting and, over, and overcoming but they we can't give them a handshake and say thanks very much for that or give them a hug and say that was brilliant to be able to do that together with you just gonna have to kind of do it from afar but still trying to get under one roof to do it so that's we've uh, we've got to we've got to be innovative
2: creative to do that's got to fill in the gap in the meantime but uh david when i see you again and you're a fine-looking fella i can't wait to see you again well, you, the beard is a bit longer now.
0: I haven't uh, haven't been going to my barber as much, Michael, as I had been. Now, you know,
2: Listen, you, you, you're going to get you're going to you're going to get some good film parts offered you in the coming months at this rate. But it'll, it'll be good, it'll be good to see you again, and that's what I think. That's what we'll appreciate, you know, more than ever when, when we get the world back, and we will get it back. So, Michael, you have you
0: have a leaders leaders conference shortly coming up, right? Does does the tone of the agenda does the agenda does the narrative do the do the presentations shift and change have you changed the diary dramatically never mind maybe not everyone attending in person in a space like Twickenham but are you changing the agenda dramatically because of what's going on in the world
2: I don't think so no I think we're going to stick to the same topics because I'm I'm, I'm adopting the mindset and I might be having to play tricks myself here but we are going to come through this eventually. Now it might feel like Armageddon at the moment, but in two, four, six weeks, it will have changed again because we've seen we've seen what's happening across the, the rest, the rest, the rest of the world. So rather than get seduced into the absolute, you know, doom mongering, which could be around the moment, let's prepare for when we get out of this. And so the topics which I think we'll be discussing around around learning and around training and around performance and around coaching will apply more than ever when we when we get through this and there's a very good irish fellow out there at the moment called dr michael ryan you may have seen his remarkable clip talking about a virus what happens you should move quickly he says because the fear of failure uh, people we live in the era of the fear of people making a mistake and again if if we get human interaction out of this again but also if we get the sheer get rid of this fear of making a mistake as well david because we, we we've get we've got terrified to make mistakes in case we get found out and humiliated and it's publicized everywhere. It doesn't matter if you make mistakes. How the hell can you learn if you don't make mistakes? So the conference is going to, still going to focus on learning and coaching. And we must remove this fear of failure and making a mistake because I really believe since the digital world launched upon us, that's the
0: one fundamental shift it's made on human behavior is this terror of making a mistake. And it's, I have to say that that kind of echoes again with the two of us here in this room because with us starting up the company six months ago, A lot of people would have said, wait till the product and the service is absolutely right and then go for it. But there were other people that were also saying, Yeah, but get something out there, get something out that's a bit different, and then you can refine it and refine it and make it perfect with time. And you know, then we read people like Tom Peters and guys like this, and you kind of you do get the conflicting advice. And it's kind of sometimes it's difficult to know whether it has to be absolutely perfect. Because maybe if it's not, you don't quite land who you want. But maybe it's also important to well, get it out there and you'll land something and then you can refine it with time. And it's something we're both going through constantly all the time, well, that kind of battle. I work in
2: real live elite performance sport. You haven't got time when the ball's in mid-air to call, to call a conference call to decide what to do and how to catch it. You, you just catch it. And again, stuff we might get out of this wretched situation is trusting our gut instinct again because – I think the gut is incapable of lying to you, and sometimes you wait for everything to be right, and it's never just right. And when you launched your your company, your product was it perfect? Will you will, will you change it? Of course you will, but for heaven's sake, we must learn to have a go again because we've got we've got we've got very cautious and and very fearful of making a mistake. And lots of advisors and experts then go, oh no no no, don't do it like that in case you make a mistake. I say, well, go on, make a mistake and. David, you got. You said you've got a little boy, haven't you, age two? Is that correct? Yeah, he's two and a half. Little and is, is, he Mike, around, is he running around sorry. now? Is he, is he doing okay?
0: He's doing great. Yeah, he yeah.
2: is. So if you remember the, the first few days when your wife rang you up and said, get on quick, he's, he's having a little walk across the park or the house. Well, there's a really good chance in those first few days he fell flat down on his backside as he landed flat like a stone as he's trying to work his first few steps. You don't look at him and say, ah, little fella, he'll never walk. He just encouraged him to do it again. He couldn't give a hoot. He just fell over. He banged his bottom and he got up again. And we've, that's what we still do as adults, but we're embarrassed to do it now in case we fall over and make a mistake. And we don't laugh at ourselves and we then hide and go, I don't want to make a mistake again in public. And we've got to learn to make mistakes again because in my world of high performance, it's littered with errors. It's littered with mistakes. It's littered with losing even. And that's why I like sports so much because it teaches you to make the mistake
0: and then come back and have another go. And we've moved away from that in life, sadly. Michael Jordan didn't hit that shot against the Jazz after hitting loads of perfect jump shots. It took a lot of misses, a lot of failures. Um, Look at the greatest Irish sports
2: people over the years. They've had glorious, glorious failure time after time after time. Did Ron Logaro get every conversion? Absolutely not. Did Roy Keane place every pass perfectly threaded, slotted through the midfield to his centre-forward to run onto? Absolutely not. Even Paul McGrath made the odd mistake and he was the best of the lot. So we do make errors. We really do make errors. And so, and by the way, Paul McGrath was the best of the lot. Let's get that one in there now. So uh, <laughs> make, making mistakes is is okay. And
0: for God's sake, let's get back to not be ashamed to make them. Who are ah, Paul McGrath? Um, Michael love all that. I was speaking to a former patient of mine who is in London now. Um, well, she's actually in Florida. She should be in London, but she's in Florida and she's not going back to London anytime soon. And she's a good age. She'd be approaching 80 and, uh, former journalist. And, um, I sent her on a document that we create about trying to just help her out and give her some advice. For well-being and so forth, because her life has changed. She used to go to daily physio, used to go for a swim, um, used to play a bit of golf, and she can't do any of it. And and her response to our, the document that we sent was, that's great, David Kiran. That's really amazing. That's going to change a lot of people. It's great, the routine. You're trying to sell that, all that stuff. But I'm 78. I, I can't do a lot of those things what do you think I can do? What about people my age? You know, should I be wiping down my deck of cards for a bridge? Should I be playing more Scrabble? Should I be... What's your advice for that elderly population? For my for my dad, you know, and if my granny was still around, what what can those people do now? Because they're getting a little bit more isolated. They're getting a little little
2: more isolated, and that word's going to haunt us for a few weeks and months yet, and probably post this situation also. But I, I'm a few miles now from uh, a rehab centre here in Lambourne in the UK run by the Injured Jockeys Fund. And it's a rehab centre for people to recover from serious injury from riding a horse, because when you jump off a horse or fall off a horse, it, it really quite hurts. And If you get hit by one coming behind you, it really, really hurts. So we've got three rehab centres now uh, across, the, across the UK, David, to, to help people get better from, from their accidents. What, what we've also done is we've created three social hubs Possibly by mistake, where people just want to come in and I encourage this and I'm going to go there later today put the kettle on and just see how people are and they get and we've got elderly people well over the age of 70 they just like to meet up and you know what they do they often tell stories exchange stories. now some of them might have been slightly exaggerated over the years, but so what but keeping us together and keeping us connected and telling stories and remembering good moments from our past, and then laughing at some of the great things, and also laughing at some of the most ridiculous things that have happened to us, I think is still the greatest medicine we have. And getting people together, connected, telling stories, sharing experiences, I still think is the most powerful thing we do. And look at this podcast. Hopefully it shares a few experiences. I've spent my life addicted to the radio because it tells you stories, it tells you things, and you, you hear interesting people you've never heard of talk about their life. And the more we do that together in person, we might do it virtually for the time being, the better. And getting people in the same place doing that is is the greatest thing we have. And we'll we'll appreciate it more than ever in a few months' time, David.
1: I think this aligns perfectly with my next question, Michael. Um, About storytelling, I was going to ask you, what's your favourite, or whether you've been involved with or looked out upon from afar, moment in sport or your career so far? My most favourite moment in sport so far,
2: I mean, I've had some... I mean, you've just asked me a question. I'm trying to filter through three million memories, but a zillion year, a zillion years ago, there I used to every year I used to go to the Grand National meeting, Liverpool, which has sadly been cancelled this year. And I was chief executive of the Professional Jockeys Association uh, at at the time. And there've been some remarkable Grand Nationals, both in terms of the race itself and some of the dramas around the race. There was the full the false start back in back in the 90s, and in 1993. Uh, the, 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 whole race course was evacuated with a, with a bomb scare in 1993. And I remember being in the weigh room and the clerk of the course, the senior executive of Aintree tapped me in the shoulder and said, Michael, have you got a minute? I said, well, not now because the Grand National's off in a minute and there's 40 jockeys about to risk life. And then He we went, this is important. I said, no, their job's important. They're going to ride in the Grand National. He said, Michael, there is no Grand National. And I said, sorry, he says, close the door, get the jockeys together. We need to talk to them. And we were told that the race was off. We'd have to evacuate the race course there and then. And of course, the jockeys didn't quite get it and they didn't quite believe it. And then the police knocked on the door, said, we mean it. Get out the race course. And there wasn't time to get your phone, your car keys, anything. So we had 40 jockeys wandering around the streets of Liverpool and Runcorn and Cheshire, uh, dressed in their silks and boots, everything but their crash helmets. And we roamed Liverpool for 24 hours. (laughs) You see it now as fancy dress, you know, the the make-believe jockey. I I remember driving out of Liverpool that night. We drove out. We couldn't take cars or anything. I ended up in a horse box, uh, going to a run call. We're having a picnic in the back of a horse box with 12 jockeys who were meant to be riding in the Grand National that afternoon at four o'clock. And then we went past McDonald's and there was one of the jockeys uh, queuing for a a Big Mac because he was hungry. And he was in the queue. And everyone else on a Saturday afternoon, and there he was or, ordering his big mac and fries, or in his case, it was a very small mac and very small fries because he, he wasn't allowed to eat very much. And we and we ended up in a hotel that night in Runcorn, having had a all shipped out in a horse box. And we had a bit of a party in, in the hotel that night, dressed in britches, boots and colours and body protectors. And of course, the jockeys felt the race wouldn't take place because the operation to, to, to sweep the race course was impossible. Uh, And all the jockeys that year, David, were were dieting, as they called it, wasting, because they all had a light weight for the Grand National. And when a jockey loses weight quickly, a lot of weight very quickly, whenever he eats and drinks anything afterwards, he puts on a lot of weight very quickly. So there might have been a Guinness or two that night. There might have been a bag of chips or two that night. There might have been a a sitting up, talking around the table that night with a glass of something that night. And before you knew it, they'd all put, far too much weight on and the call came through Sunday afternoon. Lands the races on Monday afternoon. I've never seen a rush for the sauna like it in my entire life because twenty four hours of carnage and chaos. But whenever we meet up, whenever we get together, we just remember that night in a horse box, driving to Runcorn, the night in the hotel, and then riding in a deserted race course in the Grand National on a Monday afternoon. So is it is that a, a moment of glory? No. Is it a moment which changed the shape of the world? No, but we were there. And I remember I was the first, one of the first people let back into Aintree uh, on the Monday morning, and it was like time had stood still. There were bread rolls not touched for 24 hours or 48 hours, and there were race cars, cash lying around. Uh, the place had just been absolutely deserted. And we went back in, and we roamed the Grand National, and then we cleared up and went home again. Uh, and those moments live with you as much as the winning goal or the winning catch or the winning score because they're, they're memories and you can't you and that's why it's important
0: for people to get together and talk because you you share these stories they're vital well we want another story michael you have you have a couple of dogs there near you is that right i do yes i do yeah one's called Shankly. what are they what kind of dogs my old dog is a
2: my old dog is called shankly he's a lurcher greyhound uh he's 13 and a half he's done two miles this morning because that's all he's done Uh, And he's named after the Liverpool manager, Bill Shankly, who I think would have been the greatest prime minister uh, we ever could have had because he spoke in a language the people understood. And I watch leaders now, uh, and if we're drifting to leadership now, but I did watch the press conference of Leo Varadkar last night. And by the way, he's, he's lost his job, but he still came across as the leader and the statesperson last night. And he spoke in a language I understood last night. And Bill Shankly, as a leader of Liverpool, spoke in a language the people of Liverpool understood, as does Jürgen Klopp, by the way. Jürgen Klopp is just a very German version of, 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 of Bill Shankly. And my old dog is named after Bill Shankly because my old dog will never walk alone. And that is Liverpool theme tune. And for 13 and a half years, David, uh, Shankley and I have roamed training grounds, football, football clubs, cricket clubs, rugby clubs, uh, conferences, and he and I have walked the best part of 25,000 miles together. And that dog has been on walks with me with managers, coaches, players, athletes, sporting directors, politicians, strictly come dancing, you name it, he's been in a walk with them. And I would say, throughout all my training, which cost me tens of thousands of pounds and heaven knows what else to to get my qualifications in my 40s, that dog has unlocked more people than any other form of CBT or any other form of therapy I've come across. Because we head off into the hills, we get walking, we get talking. And people just tell me everything and then we make sense of what might be going on in their lives. So please never underestimate the power of a dog, a bit of fresh air and walking side by side rather than sitting opposite someone across the table. And he's the greatest. He's the greatest aid I've had in sports psychology ever and probably ever will. Because my next dog, because Shankly won't last forever, won't be Shankly. And he's he's my logo for my little brand. Uh, And I get more emails and phone calls going, Michael, been great to see you make sure you bring shanks because that's the effect he's said on my life and
0: other people's lives by talking. Very good. So let's, let's move. Let's go forward five years, Michael, and Shankly's still around, right? And he's still, still on your walks with you and he's still meeting everyone. And I've met and I've given him a rub and uh, given him a treat. What would he like to have said to, um, to you that over the next five years you'll have, done this this and this maybe or you'll have tried to impact people further relationship build by this would he like to see you do something different in the next five years or just more of the same You when i close this laptop
2: to you david i'm going to answer that question and write it down because it's it's as good as i've been asked i'm not just bigging up in the hope that the whole world hears this podcast and i really hope they do because it's been quite good fun uh, i think if he could say to me in five years time and say well done for getting through Remember, you remember that time he, he'll say to me, we, we didn't see him on our walks, and we couldn't meet up if we walked because of the virus. Well done for getting through that and helping out a few people and, and keeping going. And, he said to, and then he'd say to me, he goes, but he'd say to me, but the company you formed, Michael, was called Just Caulfield because it's just you and me, the dog. And he goes, I hope you don't move away from that because he said that was the best thing you ever did because it just got you back to being yourself, helping people, listening to people, not being a world's leading authority or guru. I'm not going I'm not, I'm not to set out any arenas. I don't want to do that. I'm not going to write books as a result of it. But I think he'd say to me, make sure you keep supporting people, finding out what makes them tick, helping them, and then sending them back to their place of work, maybe better than they arrived. So he would say to me, by all means, keep up to date, adapt, learn new, learn new ideas, keep reading, have an open mind. But whatever you do, I've got his picture here in front of me, my little business card. He'll say to me, remember, Michael, it was just you and me back in 2020. And make sure you keep it as simple as that, because that's the most effective thing you do.
0: Thanks for sharing that. Excellent,
1: Michael, if, if we get through this, and we will, in a few months' time, whenever it is, what do you think is the most important thing for people to do to prevent us relapsing into autopilot and going back to the way we were? Show more tolerance, show more kindness, and be less greedy. Excellent. And in terms of, you mentioned Leo Radker, and a lot of this chat has actually echoed what he said last night the leadership areas we need to see a lot from our leaders at the moment um and you've mentioned things before in on social media and so the traits that are most important for leadership do you want to just share a few of them i know you quote authenticity calmness and decisiveness is three of the main ones do you want to just share a little bit with the listeners about what we need to see from our leaders at the moment
2: yeah i, I do because i'm watching the news with everyone else and you you with bated breath as to how they're going, what they're going to say and what they're going to do. I want authenticity. I want them to be who they are rather than, I don't want anything fake or anything even trying to be funny. If they're not funny or to bluff their way through it. I, I want authenticity. I want clarity. I really want clarity from leadership because I think that's, I think that works with people who follow them. And I tell you what, I do want calmness because I'll go back to my trivial, but really important world of sport because sport is I've always often quoted is the most important of the unimportant things, but actually it's really important because it's, it's, it's healthy. It's good for health, mental health. It's good for your physical health. It binds people together. It gives us hope. It gives us joy. It gives us, it just gives us everything on, on the emotional front and the best coaches and the best leaders I've come across when it really matters. They're really calm. They're not there jumping up and down and screaming and shouting and running around in circles. And immediately, a football fan will say, "What about Simeone last week?" I'm not talking about Diego Simeone because that's become an act in itself. Because you have, to, he can't now not do that. That is the act. But in times of genuine, genuine uh, crisis and fear, and this is a, this is a crisis situation, I want calmness, I want clarity, and I want authenticity, and I don't want any fluff and bluster and to try and be something they're not. Uh, and I think if every world leader could just stop playing up to the crowds a wee bit if they think, think they are just be clear and just be calm and be themselves we, we might get out of this and I think the best example across the world is Jacinda Arden in New Zealand uh, I think the way she's handled uh, the crises which New Zealand have had in the last two or three years has been a good example of that she was herself she was calm and she was clear and everyone said yep I'm following
0: that excellent Michael for for the for the athletes out there Let's not talk staff, coaches, management. For the athletes, that routine dramatically changed, but they're still having to keep up training, right? Rory McElroy, you still better be practicing because the Masters might still go ahead. LeBron James, Giannis, these sort of guys, Premier League footballers. Um, National Rugby League still seems to be going ahead, but not a whole lot else. What what advice would you give to that whole Cohort, GEA, rugby, basketball, NHL, Major League Baseball, that's not going ahead for now. Spring training's different. Yeah. What, what, would you be, what would you be telling all these guys to do? I think if I can use the phrase, be
2: creative, because I had three or four pictures sent to me last night by some really, really good athletes and players and teams, and they've invented and, and built uh, their own training environment in their back garden or a space in their house this is what this situation is forcing us to do and in fact if i may i might just read uh, a message out to you because the, the person who um, sent me this if i may recently and he, he and this is the message and he said uh, he said you know we we exchanged our greetings and he said one uh, one saving grace for me is that me and my housemate we've we, we've cleared the garage out uh, we've got a load of gym equipment from, from, the, from the club to fill it with and I'll come back fitter and stronger than ever. And that was, his, that was his exact message to me. So they've turned their garage into a gym. They've managed to borrow some equipment from the club for which they play for. They've got a training program from the coach. And uh, this young man said he's going to come back fitter and stronger than ever. He's had a slight injury worry in the last few weeks. Uh, and he shares a house with a fellow athlete who's fit and able and in the form of his life. And the two of them are going to train each other and keep each other going. So, the more you can do of that because we can uh and who knows the power of friendships and that that won't need any team bonding when they come back because they're going be doing it together already, so try and be creative uh in in the limited space you've got because the one thing we have got back, sadly is time we've got more time in our hands than we
0: than we thought we might have, but be creative around it, and you never know what comes out of it and what about then for the people working in the arts, so say I attended in the Abbey Theatre a couple of weeks ago, and if you're a musician, a magician, um, headlining a show, you're a ballerina in the Royal Ballet in Monte Carlo. All those sort of things are a little different. They need to be creative and cognitively doing things. What, ad- what advice would you give to- give to the artist out there? Not necessarily the athlete. I think oh, and actually, I have thought a lot about the artistic community
2: because a I like the artistic community, and I've got many good people in it and people I've helped in it as well, from from as you say, from actors to dancers to comedians. So what can they do? Uh, if I go back to my phrase global timeout rather than global pandemic, all of us, even myself included, I'm about to do it after I've spoken to you, is I'm just going to completely reappraise the way which I go about my life. What can I create in the next three months which I have had no chance of doing? Prior to this situation, now that might be that might be new material, that might be a new skill, that might be something you have to read and and research, and and which we can use online facilities for. So, is there something you can learn in the next three months that you wouldn't have done as a result of this of 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 coronavirus? And whatever discipline you're in, there is something you can do. Whereas in three months' time, I know some of this now. Three three mornings a week now is learning Spanish online because they want to work in elite sport, football. And guess what? There's lots of really good Spanish players and teams out there he wants to work with in the future. He's now learning Spanish. He would not have done that pre-coronavirus. So what can you do, which will make you better at your discipline in three months' time as a result of this enforced situation? And it could be a physical thing. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've lost a couple of kilos already because I'm walking 15K a day. Uh, I'm eating and drinking less because there's less of it around and you can't go to eat and drink at the place you want to go anyway. So there must be something in the next 3 months you can do which will make you better at your job because of this situation and what is it and only they can answer that question.
0: Well well we would say you're looking great Michael. But <laughs> you're you're not in the room with us but I we'll take, take your word for it. I I've, I look sensational today. <laughs> um I'm going to I'm going to put Kieran on the spot here Michael. We're going to switch it up and put him on the spot. I'm going to ask so Kieran you being a GAA player. Yep. Fit and healthy. Yep. (laughs) Machines-ish.
1: Asterix there, Michael. Um, Aaron, who do you play for? I was playing for London when I was over there. I'm playing for St. Mary's and Saggart now at the moment. A local club. Good Good man yourself. Enjoying it again.
0: He's having, Michael, just context. He's having to look after some people at home, um, young people and old people, and at the same time come in here because I'd be giving out to him if he's not because we have to keep on working away. And, uh, Kiron, what new skills are you trying to learn? Because is it is it is it Spanish? Is it chess? Is it cocktail making? What are the new things you're trying to learn
1: going forward? Well, I actually recently... It's good to put me on the spot here. I like this. Um, I got a banjo from my dad at Christmas time. Wow. And I saw it the other day, and there's one string broken on it. So I bought strings online, and I said, I'm going to learn to restring a banjo and learn how to play it. First attempt... Broke the string that I was trying to fix. <laughs> so, as you said, refining the skills still, but that's the goal. So, I've looked up lessons online. There's loads of obviously things available. So, that's the goal be able to play one song by the end of June. I'd like, and Kieran, believe you me now, I'm holding you to this
2: because if you don't hold something or someone accountable to it, I want now to put a date in the diary when you're going to come back and play me whatever song you've learned and maybe a few lyrics to go with it as well. And it can be anything from a rambling old Christy Moore number through to a good old-fashioned sing-along number. But I want to know, and want to hear you play that song, Kieran.
1: That sounds like a plan. I what need we'll to do, hear that song. We'll do a lullaby, I think. <laughs> <laughs> or a one-chord song. Um, but yeah, definitely, that sounds good.
0: One one co- good. I
2: mean, I, I learned the guitar many years ago, six chords, so I could play live on a number of occasions, which I did. And this is a band in Ireland. I mean, this is a beautiful podcast when there's no limits on life. I spent a little bit of time on the road touring with the Saw Doctors. Oh, wow. You did not. Stuff really? you never knew. Wow. Stuff you never knew. Because in 1994, in 1994, <laughs> in 1994, Richard Dunwoody uh, became champion jockey of the UK for the first time, his lifelong ambition. And a great friend of mine called Simon McNeil, who retired yesterday, retired from being a starter of horse races, formerly a jockey himself. And in 1992, 93, we were driving on one day to the races. And and there's a late Irishman called John Durkin. There's a race named after him at Levittstown, the John Durkin Memorial Chase every year. He tragically died of leukemia about 15 years ago, John. And we we're going to the races, and he and uh, he went out with a girl called Carol, an Irish lady who lived in, in my village, in my house, actually. And we had a cassette. For those of you who don't know what a cassette is, Google it. They're plastic little things, when they're fiddly, and you always, they'd always break in the end. And he said, listen to this song, Michael, Corky, as I was known. He so said, put it on. And it was, I used to love her by the Saw Doctors, which was number one in Ireland at the time. And then they bought out their first album uh, recorded in Salt Hill in Galway called If This Is Rock and Roll, I Want My Old Job Back. And we joked in the car that if Richard ever became champion jockey and Simon rode 50 winners in a year, which he did that year, we'd booked the Saw Doctors for a concert. And to this day, they did. And I bought the album, vinyl, of course. I got the back of it and there was a number, Galway 28426. I rang it. And a fellow answered the phone went, hello. I said, it's Michael Caulfield speaking here on behalf of Richard Dunwoody. He went, not be Richard Dunwoody. And I said, why have you heard of him? He said, yes. He said, I'm a, I'm a bookie. I'm a bookmaker. I said, who are you? He said, I'm the father of the, of the lead guitarist and songwriter of the Sword Doctors. And I said, I was hoping we could book the lads for a concert in in uh, in Lambourne because Richard Dunwoody's a champion jockey. I know, he's the greatest jockey of all time. Pardon the accent. And so in those days, as you do, he shouted across the room, Leo! Yes, Pa. He goes, what is it? He goes, "Will you play a gig for the jockeys in England, he went, yes, mighty. And they got in their tour bus a few weeks later. And I'm still looking at the lay-by here in the village. Uh, and they turned up in the village. And we had two nights in our local pub. I've still got the photos on the wall. And we sang "Clare Island and Green and Red and Mayo and I Used to love her and all the songs. And then we had a gig for about 800 people uh, in a garden center up the road. And it's still talked about to this day. And so we've become lifelong friends. And if they're listening to this one day, I hope, to, I hope to the hell they get back together and have a little tour next year. There's my little
0: Irish tune, Rock and Roll Story for you. Love that. Now, as you said, this can be a pod that tends to go different places. because It just has, not it? It just has. <laughs> it's just going to tune and go way and back. Well, we went from <laughs> sport all the way to that. But now you said, um, because I've been keeping some notes, that you're not going to write a book. But you also said you need to read. You read a lot and you keep up with reading and that's important for leaders and so forth. And thanks both for asking me, but uh, I'm planning to write. <laughs> that's what I want to do in the next three months. I want to write and I want to write a book. I do want to write a book. But um, Michael, I want to say that if if I, we were a publishing house and we were forcing you by gun to the head, Michael Caulfield, you have met so many people and connected with so many people we want you to share those learnings, that legacy, those everything you've distilled from your time, put it into a couple of sheets of paper for us to leave for us. What would the title of that book be? And maybe give us a little bit of a, an intro. Just tell the publishing house it's two or three chapters, it's this, or it's going to be framed around this sort of narrative. Okay. I've got the title of the book already. It's just come to me. So I now know what I'm going to call my book.
2: If ever I wrote it, and this is going to be so disappointing for you and anyone who listens to this because you 'd be expecting a really clever answer of the collaboration of teams under pressure or something like that, winning is best, and how to be successful in life Maybe my, book, not. my book would undoubtedly be called it 's a funny old game it 's my stop phrase in life uh, invented by Jimmy greaves, uh, the greatest English footballer. Uh, which we've had as a centre forward. And there's been a a wonderful documentary on Jimmy Greaves recently on on, on a well-known sports subscription channel, uh, beginning with the letter B. And uh, Jimmy Greaves' favourite phrase when he became a pundit by mistake was, you know what, it's a funny old game because football, you can dominate it, you can be brilliant at it, you can win every single challenge and every single everything, but still lose. And it's it's a phrase that has stuck with me all through my life was sometimes... Whatever you do, however well you do it, however hard you prepare for it, however much you practice and believe and do everything right, and you are unbelievably brilliant at what you do, you might get beaten. And he would say, well, it's a funny old game, isn't it? And my book would be around the human condition, which I know is out there because virtually every person I've met in my life, from national managers to national coaches to leading ministers to leading athletes, at some point in their life, they've all had periods of doubt. When they didn't know if they were going to be good enough, fast enough, tall enough, good enough, brave enough, funny enough, clever enough. Uh, And at some point, and maybe there's one or two exceptions out there, but at some point, they've all been a little bit lonely sitting in their car or their dressing room or their training ground or their house. And they've gone, I'm not sure I can do this. And I've yet to meet one person who at some point has not had that moment when they go, I'm struggling here. I'm, I'm really struggling. And that could be form, fitness, confidence, belief, anything in life. And they're literally empty. And that goes from McCoy's to McElroy's. And if Rory and AP ever met for a cup of tea, I bet they'd say the same thing because has Rory had periods of doubt when he didn't know where it was going off the tea? I suspect so. Did AP think at some point in his life, Ooh, I don't know if I can keep doing this, but I know so. So it would be based around overcoming doubt and that fear of failure but it'd be under the title at the end of it.
0: Whatever happened, though, you know what? It's a funny old game,
2: because it is. Hmm.
0: Jack Murray, I'm going to give you a little shout. We have another couple of minutes here. Jack's given myself and Ciarán huge, huge education and advice on building out this podcast over the last couple of months. He gave us The Storyteller's Manifesto and wrote within it his book, um, get to storytelling and get to what makes people tick and tell it simply. Um, and it's we. This podcast has all been about stories today. That's what we've we've seen. Michael, you've asked Huron to show a bit of accountability to come back to you in a couple of months and play a lullaby song so that we can sleep well. <laughs> um, what can we hold you for? That if we decide we want to ring you back in three months' time and hold you accountable for something, what's that hook we can ring you back for? Uh, that's the second good question you've asked me today. I want to swear at you know,
2: but I can't, because I want this to go out completely unedited and untouched. I think the one thing that when you come back to me in three months' time, uh, oh, let me think. I will, I will be fitter and healthier than before. I mean, I'm still in pretty decent nick now, he says arrogantly, but I will, I will be fit mentally and physically as fit as I've ever been in my entire life. And I will be clearer as to how to help people than I've ever been clearer in my life before because these times are unbelievably challenging. And, and I'd have laid down laid down the, the chapters of the book. I'll never write, but I'll write it, but only for my own reference to
0: get better at what I do.
1: Hmm. Nice.
0: And somebody else that's influenced us a lot recently said the exact same thing. Shout out to Johnny Zymer from lane four, because Johnny, you said, I asked you something similar when you gave me a book and you said, I'm never going to write a book. I'm going to just kind of write it for myself to help understand what's important for me and what I want to share with others. And that really resounded with me because it made me think that if I'm going to write something, what, what? it's all well and good reading all these books, but what am I taking from them? What am I trying to learn from all these conferences, these online seminars, these books, these poems, these songs, these TED Talks. It's all well and good absorbing it, but how can we put it onto paper for someone else to take something from it? So it's a great exercise to write an imaginary book, and whether you decide to publish it or not, um, it, it's it's a great exercise. I'm keeping the company in lane
2: four, must be doing something right. Uh, and I'll give you some live podcasty feedback. You've asked me two brilliant questions today, and I've always thought that the key to life isn't your own brilliance. It's getting people to ask you good questions, or you ask them good questions. And you've done
0: you've done that twice today. You pair of things, you. <laughs> well, we have one. We have one more for you, Michael. Go one. This podcast. Well, we've asked different questions, but it always comes back to what makes high performance. What makes high performing individuals tick in their environment, their sphere. So, what does high performance? From Kieran and myself here in Dublin, Ireland, me and to Michael Caulfield, courage to actually go
2: and want to be tested at the highest level because if you do want to do that, there's a really good chance at some point you're going to fall flat in your face and be embarrassed by it. And you've got if you've got the courage to do that and be scrutinized and judged, I'm with you all the way.
0: Thank you very much. Um, that was great. We really enjoyed it. it was grateful. Listeners, try to take something from that today. There's been so much from that to take for this time of for this time out so learn listen to that take what you feel you can put into your own space and michael looking forward to speaking to you again face to face hopefully over a handshake with a banjo um in three months time if not before i think we should and let's let's commit ourselves to doing that because if we don't it's all a bit wasted and that would be
2: awful Sounds good. Have a lovely day. Enjoy your walk, with Shankly. And keep going. Above all else, keep going because we'll get through this. So keep that's my that's my hashtag. Keep going.